produce. Fresh and local. That's what you'll find at Harris Teeter. We're committed to supporting our local farmers and their families. They're our neighbors and our friends. Produce gathered at the peak of freshness and delivered to us. Whether you shop in our stores or order online, you'll find the best local and regional produce for your table, grown not far from where you live. Harris Teeter, your neighborhood food market. When the lights go down in the city, it's time for the Mark Willard Show on KNBR 104.5 and 680, the sports leader. Lights not going down yet. Still bright and sunny here in San Francisco on a beautiful summer Wednesday evening. Scott Reese hanging out with you from 6 to 10 tonight, giving Mark Willard a well-deserved night off. At least I'm assuming it's well-deserved. I don't really know that. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt. We are uh, getting closer to what should be an NFL season, coronavirus permitting. Uh, Of course, the league has been operating under the assumption all along that they would be able to do this uh, under normal timeline, and we are all hoping that that is, in fact, accurate. Uh, that would entail training camp starting at the end of July. So uh, where are we, about six weeks away from uh, the start of camps? And then you know a month later, we would have football. Maybe a couple of fewer preseason games, if I hear correctly. And I think the, a lot of people would be just fine with that. Uh, and with that, let's bring in our friend Brian Peacock, host of the Locked on 49ers podcast. Follow him on Twitter at BD Peacock. Brian, how are you this evening? I'm doing great, Scott. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. Our pleasure, as always. Um, so what's it like being a guy who covers professional football and not having OTAs and mini camps this summer? <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been an odd one, man. But you know what's actually been really cool is seeing the videos and the press conferences and hearing from players. And uh, Richard Sherman spoke with reporters today and getting a little bit of insight into some of these players' lives. I feel almost a little bit more personally connected to some of the players this offseason, even though, you know, haven't really seen anything on the field happening. Yeah, how about that uh, that viral video from last week with Mahomes and and Deshaun Watson and all those guys that precipitated the Roger Goodell uh, viral video? <laughs> Which, wow, uh, yeah, yeah, but that that first one yeah. was awesome. Yeah, that that was unbelievable, and uh, it's been pretty amazing what we've seen from. I mean, the Roger Goodell video on its own, and he represents the owners and. Uh, seeing seeing what he said and what flying in the face of what the president is saying, uh, that is some surprising statement from the league. And I'm a little bit less surprised about how quickly someone like Drew Brees mm. wanted to make good with his locker room and you know show some leadership and and uh, take ownership of the things he said and apologize for those things very quickly. Uh, that one was less surprising, even though you know it was interesting that he also tagged the president. But um, yeah, some some flags planted in the ground firmly by Drew Brees and especially with Roger Goodell and the NFL right now. No, I think the, the Goodell uh, statement was somewhere along the lines of the second sign of the apocalypse. I think a lot of people were, were summarily <laughs> shocked by by the words that uh, that came out of his mouth, but all for, for the better, uh, assuming sincerity, and we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, you know, since we're on the subject, I'm going to dive in with the hard question, but Colin Kaepernick, uh, you know, he wants back in the league. There's obviously a ton of speculation now about uh, whether or not that will happen. Do you expect to see him playing football again as soon as 2020 you know six months ago i would have thought there was a zero chance after the whole debacle of what his last workout 
was and then changing locations and um, the document that the league wanted him to sign. I thought, you know, that was it. There, there's no chance. Kaepernick is definitely not going to come back. But I would say there's a very high likelihood, nearing 100%, that he at least gets a workout with some teams. And if he gets a workout, uh, if he is as in shape as reported and is still getting up at 5 a.m. every day and working out, I think just showing up and showing what kind of shape he's in because he's a physical specimen. And uh, I think he will look like somebody that some teams do want to sign if they give him that opportunity. So uh, I would not be shocked to see him get some workouts. And, man, uh, it's looking like he might actually get another shot to play in the NFL, and then we'll see if all that time off uh, he's still the same guy we saw in 2016. Of course, if you're the team that signs him, are you the hero now for doing the right thing and stepping up, or are you a hypocrite because you know now you're doing what you swore you didn't need to do for the last three years because you were good at quarterback <laughs> and you didn't like his talent, and that's why you didn't want him? Yeah, well, similarly to what uh, Richard Sherman said today, it, it's probably from ownership, and I think there are probably some teams, and I know there were teams that did talk to him before, the Seattle Seahawks, uh, they were still uncomfortable with the kneeling. It sounds like uh, the Baltimore Ravens, they got some heat because they just asked ownership about it. Those were teams that were at least interested in bringing in Colin Kaepernick post-2016. So I'm sure there were some other teams where the GMs and the coaches said, I would like to have that quarterback on my team, but there's no way that was going to pass ownership. And uh, and even the GMs and coaches themselves probably didn't want more microphones in their faces because teams and and coaches and GMs hate that already. So I think there was an extra layer of just difficulty of bringing him in. If the owners are now on board and okay it, then I think there's going to be a lot more teams that say, well, look, we're trying to get the best football players we can. And if he improves our backup quarterback situation, then let's do it. Talking with Brian Peacock of the uh, Locked On 49ers podcast. And uh, I believe a new installment dropped today. Is that correct? What what uh, What do we got on there this week? Yeah, we're doing. We're still doing this thing daily. Well, I, I dropped down from five days a week with the podcast to four days a week in the off season with the 49ers show. Matt Williamson and I, former NFL scout, I uh, co-host the the Locked On NFL league wide program as well, and we're still coming five days per week. So um, yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. There's still stuff to talk about even in June, and then that was the toughest part about doing a daily podcast. I was thinking, you know, uh, David Locke, who's the, the CEO of the network, and he's the play-by-play voice for the Utah Jazz, and this all started from his one little podcast called Locked on Jazz, and then it grew into the NBA network and the NFL network. When he contacted me about hosting the 49ers show daily, I was like, man, am I going to be able to do this daily throughout the offseason? And you know what? It hasn't <laughs> been all that hard, and the draft is a big part of it, and this offseason has been very different. No OTAs, no minicamps, but there's been plenty to talk about and we actually have a league-wide special podcast dropping Thursday, which is eight of our African-American hosts having a roundtable talking about race and Black Lives Matter. So it's going to be a very interesting show, and you can find that on any of the NFL shows on our channel tomorrow. Okay, and I'm sure you'll get that out on, on uh, Twitter as well, at BD Peacock. Uh, so uh, one of the items I see from the uh, latest podcast, best team in franchise history, and obviously with a, with a franchise as storied as the 49ers, a lot of ways you could go, and I don't want to just spoil it. I don't, you know, let people listen to the podcast, but give us give us some thought, uh, your thought process on that. Yeah, a good buddy of mine, Nick Winkler, that I worked in the radio business with, and, and we had a weekly podcast before I took over the Locked On 49ers show. He joins me every week, and we kind of chop it up, and it wasn't a well-researched episode, but we grew up knowing the 49ers very well, and those late 80s, early 90s teams were the closest to our hearts, the near three-peat teams, and for me, it was the very last Bill Walsh team because Bill Walsh was the architect 
to the dynasty. And a lot of people will argue statistically and maybe uh, the records on the field, some of the other Super Bowl teams in 94 and maybe the 89 team would be better than the 1988 team. But for me, it's the last Bill Walsh team. And so I, I'll spoil that. And you can go back and listen to the podcast and hear our reasonings and, and hear us chop it up. But um, there was no, you know, great formula into it. I, I just feel closest to that team. I was a kid. Those were the teams I fell in love with football and fell in love with the 49ers with. And when you have a Hall of Fame quarterback backing up another Hall of Fame quarterback, prime Jerry Rice with one of the greatest coaches and team architects in history and Bill Walsh, that would be the team that I would choose. But a very good argument could be made for the 94 team. And I was surprised by Mike Sando of The Athletic. He had an article with a, a much more well-thought-out formula of how teams dominated he actually thought that the 1984 49ers team was the best in franchise history so i thought that was interesting because that team doesn't ever get as much credit as 94 in the 88 and 89 teams uh, well either way i'm glad neither of you went with 94 because as a charger fan growing <laughs> up in southern california uh oh. that super bowl was one of the most painful experiences of my sports existence <laughs> given the, yeah. oh, the no, one shot imagine. right the one shot they ever had and boy it was over in about 90 seconds yeah, it's it's never easy losing a Super Bowl. I don't know what's worse when you just get blown out right. and the quarterback's throwing five touchdown passes on your defense or if the, if your heart gets ripped out like the 2019 Super Bowl right, right, and the 49ers. Right. But uh, it's tough. And, yeah, the 94 team, talent-wise, is up there. But it just felt more like a mercenary team. And it was really cool to see Steve Young get over the hump. But for me, it was those late 80s teams. Let's talk about the quarterback, uh, because, you know, it's the quarterback. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo got him close to a Super Bowl title, didn't get it done in the fourth quarter, and there's been a lot of discussion about that since February. And uh, the other day, Chris, uh, or Phil Simms, rather, put out his uh, top 40 quarterbacks in the NFL, and Jimmy G ranked 20th. And I'm wondering your thoughts on him being ranked 20th on that list of current QBs. <laughs> Uh, I'm looking at the, the skeptical angle of this. I think that since Kyle Shanahan and his college quarterback, Chris Sims, are good buddies, I think Kyle asked Sims to put Garoppolo down the list a little bit, to put a little extra chip on <laughs> Garoppolo's shoulder maybe. Um, yeah, Conspiracy 20, 20 theory. Is low. <laughs> 20, 20 is definitely too low. Uh, top 15 for sure. If you want to argue about you know top 12, top 10, it gets a little bit more difficult because obviously there's a lot of great quarterbacks in the NFL right now, and Garoppolo hasn't proven to be one of the top-tier quarterbacks. But I thought it was interesting this week, or last week, Kyle Shanahan's comments about Jimmy Garoppolo, and he's doubled down on him this offseason, and it was probably his strongest endorsement to date, saying that, um, talking about how, the, the resolve of Jimmy Garoppolo to go through that process where the 49ers had to take a look at maybe bringing in one of the best quarterbacks of all time in Tom Brady. And then for Shanahan to say that he thinks Garoppolo could get to that level, could become one of the best quarterbacks in the league, I thought said something. It wasn't just that we like this quarterback, we think he can get even better. Shanahan said he thought he could be one of the best quarterbacks in the league. So uh, I don't think that you can endorse Jimmy Garoppolo any harder than the 49ers have to turn down Tom Brady uh, and and the money that they're already paying Jimmy Garoppolo. They've put in resources and trading for him. And this offseason, not coming back from an ACL injury, going through a season for the first time, starting 16 games in the NFL, uh, just more reps. And as Kyle Shanahan put it, not, not only learning the offense, he knows the offense, but seeing defenses against him, just getting more reps, which is the one thing that Jimmy Garoppolo has always missed since he's been drafted by the New England Patriots in 2014 is reps as a starter in NFL games. He finally got a full 16 games last year. So I would be shocked if he's not better in 2020. And if he plateaus or even 
takes a step back in 2020 on the field, then maybe we have a tough conversation next year in the offseason. But uh, I expect Jimmy Garoppolo to be even better. And, you know, the rising tide raises all ships. I I botched that saying, whatever it is. If Jimmy Garoppolo plays a little bit better, that makes the 49ers a lot better. Well, Jimmy G's already getting paid. Uh, George Kittle is going to get paid. Uh, the Giants do not have to shell out the big bucks this year, but it would behoove them to do so. How do you see the Kittle situation playing out? Do you think they'll sign him before the start of this season? And you know, what do they do with a guy who is clearly not your garden variety tight end and is going to ask for not your garden variety tight end money? Yeah, if this was a normal offseason, I think this would be the headline. And this would be the major headline, not only uh, for the 49ers, but league-wide for what George Kittle could get paid. And I know there's GMs around the league that might have to eventually pay one of their own tight ends that is not going to like the contract that <laughs> no. George Kittle gets, no matter what he gets, because if he gets you know, 12 or $14 million, that's as much of a raise that any player could ask percentage-wise uh, over the top of the highest paid at his position. But rightfully, George Kittle's agent is not looking at tight end money. He's looking at wide receiver money. Right. And there is a really big gap between Austin Hooper's $10.5 million per year and some of the top wide receivers. You're talking $19, $20 million a year. The 49ers, I don't think, will pay anything close to that. But you start getting to the $15, $16 million range, I don't know. And the 49ers are one of the best contract teams in the league. Prague Marathe might uh, push back a little bit on that. Even if Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch want to give George Kittle everything he's asking for, if Kittle really holds strong and wants something like $16 million or more, uh, it might take a holdout to do it. And if I am George Kittle's agent, I'm probably advising George Kittle not to show up to training camp until I get a new contract. So this could get a little bit messy, and uh, it's really heading toward a holdout right now. Brian, I want to talk about the running back situation quickly, uh, just because it's so critical to what the 49ers do. And obviously there's some committee involved here, but look, we all saw what Raheem Mostert did last year, and he certainly appears to be a star in the making. Uh, There was some discussion this week about number of carries you can expect and 300, probably not, but 200, Kyle Shanahan says, definitely. Where do you see them going with the running back position and with Jarek McKinnon trying to prove that he's healthy and can still be a factor? You know, how do you see this shaking out? Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that Kyle Shanahan is going to run a committee, and uh, he loves Tevin Coleman. And there were times where I thought Matt Burita was a better running back than Tevin Coleman, but Tevin Coleman remained the starter and uh, still got the bulk of the carries. And then I felt the same later in the season about Raheem Mostert, and it was still uh, Tevin Coleman who was the guy. Uh, so there might be a point next year that now that Burita is gone and it's going to be more of a two-headed monster most likely, at the running back position that Raheem Mostert proves that you you just can't take him off the field because he's too dynamic and he has to start the game and he has to finish the game. And so maybe the the number of touches for him will start to go up and he was a college wide receiver. So if he can get more involved in the pass game, that will help him stay on the field as well. But uh, I really think what I saw from Raheem Mostert was, was pretty unbelievable with his burst and his ability to see that hole and when he puts his foot in the ground and goes, uh, it's something else. And Tevin Coleman's a 4-3 guy, and it's still another level of speed that Raheem Mostert brings to the field. And I like Tevin Coleman a lot. I just think that um, at this point, you have to give your best running back the most touches. And to me, the best running back is pretty clearly Raheem Mostert. And there's an undrafted guy by the name of Jermichael Hasty that I want to throw his name out there because I really like his burst. And I think he was an under, underrated player in the draft, went undrafted. Uh, depending on what happens with 
the the repaired ACL and Jarek McKinnon, if he's not ready to go, you might see the 49ers carry four running backs and take that undrafted rookie and maybe have another Matt Breida on your hands with Jermichael Hasty. Hey, with that line, uh, that offensive line, that scheme, and and that guy calling the shots from the sidelines, uh, I think I like whoever is is lined up in the backfield. I like their chances. Um, hey, yeah, Brian, uh, listen, uh, much appreciated. Uh, by the way, your your uh, Twitter description uh, has all kinds of uh, superlatives, and then it says Mexican food eater. Uh, so best <laughs> best Mexican place in uh, in the Bay Area is what's your go to? Uh, my two favorites in the city are. Puerto Alegre, there is the, the pozole verde, which is my favorite dish probably in San Francisco. That is my go-to. It's a massive bowl of green stew with uh, <laughs> everything in it, chicken and bacon. It, it's just it's amazing. you got to check it out. And my favorite taqueria is uh, a lesser-known spot, El Castellito on Church Street. Uh, okay. It was in my neighborhood, and uh, it's really amazing. So. Uh, those are my two recommendations. There you have it. You got, we've got to feed the uh, the dinner the dinner time crowd. So uh, <laughs> appreciate the Absolutely. input. Absolutely.